Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to episode 62 of the First Exchange podcast with me, your host, Lydia Daydal. Well, we do always say when we get a really good guest on and we have a really good episode and it's really well received by you guys, the listeners, we're always like, okay, we're going to get that person back on and we'll have a to be continued. So we could not do that and not invite this guest to come in. I was joined today by, of course, the fantastic John Connors. Um, the last time he was on the podcast, in the he came in like in the first 10 episodes I think um, but the response was absolutely unbelievable of course it was he has so many fans in Ireland and around the world um, so we had to get him back in he's been working on a couple of new projects so I wanted to get him in to talk about that and he is the best storyteller ever so I wanted to pull a few stories out of him for you guys the listeners because I know you enjoy that um, so as always, thank you so much to everyone who always sends in their love via tweets or DMs or email. I read them all and I try to respond to as many as I can. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you for always sharing the podcast and thank you for just being such good supporters of the first exchange. We really, really do appreciate it. So thank you very much. I will let you all go and enjoy the 62nd episode of the first exchange podcast with the wonderful John Connors. Welcome. Welcome back, John Connors. Thanks for having me again. It's been a long time. It has. I thought it was a couple of months, but it's actually been two years. It's been two years, yeah, and you just assumed I'd know exactly the door and where to go. <laughs> I thought it was good enough knowing the street. <laughs> I remember, it's Dame Street near the bus stop. Do you know what? I'm desperate for it. I have guests all the time saying to me, where am I going? I'm like, shit, I yeah, forget minute. like they don't know where I'm going. But I thought you'd remember. Yeah, well, listen, I got You're the here streets. Now. That's enough for me. <laughs> a lot has happened. So what's been going on? Uh, well, I'm right now in the edit for um, my directorial feature debut in drama. I did one a documentary, Ender Sunshine and a Cloudy Day, the documentary, which did great. Went to Rain Dance and still on the festival circuit. Uh, so, yeah, thought to dip my feet in drama. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, this has been a story that has been circulating with me for a long time. I think I wrote the short originally in 2014. And then once I we had to kind of run with Carver Gangsters in 2015, Sorry, 17. 15, I actually applied for funding for the short, got turned down. And then 17, when I had that kind of success with Carver Gangs as being the writer on that, I thought it's an ideal time to apply for funding with it. And then I did, mm-hmm. and I got rejected again as a short, just. And um, so I said, what can I do here? Like, uh, and eventually, when a, te- when a team that Paterna Williams, who's me, who was the co-owner of Cluster Fox Films, we have a company together, good friend of mine, and we're writing teams, I asked them just to write uh, write this into a feature with me because mm-hmm. Tiernan's a cognitive scientist and a psychotherapist so no one else would know more about trauma which is the central theme of the, of the film so we wrote it as a feature and then we presented it to the funding bodies again uh, in its newest feature form and again it was shot down and we didn't apply for funding but we were just told unofficially that it's not the type of film they want to support 
which made me want to make it even more. Yeah, of uh, course. A bit of resistance always helps me. And um, <laughs> so I just kept putting it out there and just putting it out there into the world and hoping mm-hmm. something would happen. And I was on a radio show, I think I think it was Nova or something, and I mentioned this film that it just can't fucking get funded. And no one wants to touch it because it's about the institutions and the power of corruption and all that kind of stuff. And um, basically someone got in touch with me and just said, John, this is really interesting. And he was an admirer of my work and activism and stuff. And uh, he said, John, would you follow me? And I just needed to DM you about something. So that led to the conversation and eventually brought us to the point where he funded the film. Incredible. So, yeah, the, the universal That's the kind aligned. of dream, isn't it? That like uh, this random figure would just come out of nowhere and be like, I want to support your project. Absolutely. And look, it was a, it's a low budget, a micro budget as they would call it, but it was enough to get it made. But the craziness like just began because, I mean, we're, we're one of maybe only two and the only one that continue through level five lockdown like we mm-hmm. were so like a nearly a third of our budget went to just covid practices so we were low enough budget to start and then you talk about the fucking the bad weather we got the cr- like just the craziest shoot ever the most stressful thing of my entire life times 10 really, like really stressful yeah like i had <laughs> actors nearly walking off and off really yeah i'm not not and i had great relationship with me actors but for various sort of reasons and stuff and people and there's a lot of serendipity surrounding the role as well for some actors they were kind of meant to do this you know like I'd met Paul Rowe who was the lead in it and Jimmy Smallhorn was the original lead who was a good friend of mine who was a great actor who played Gith and Love Hate and who played Dara and Carver Gangsters who killed me and Jimmy had a bit of let's say the opposite of serendipity is blanity so he had a bit of bad luck and bad fate coming together and Jimmy had to back out of the role and I thought, how the fuck am I ever going to cast this role, you yeah. know? Because you need someone in around that age, kind of mid-50s, and he needs to have had struggle in his life, like real struggle, and 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 to be a natural actor as well. And uh, I met Paul Rowe, who had worked with Aunt Carver Gangsters, and the whole weird thing was I wanted to make this because my grandfather went to an industrial school, and I wanted to sort of just explore that, the sort of generation impact of that. And I met Paul, and... The first thing Paul said to me, my father went to Letter Frack Industrial School, which is the one my grandfather went to. Wow. And I went, what? And he said, my grandfather too, and my uncle. Wow. And I just knew right there, and then that was the role for him. But I knew he had to go to hell and back. Mm-hmm. It was the only way to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was it was hell doing that suit. It was hell. <laughs> and it tested me to my absolute max in terms of my empathy, in terms of my problem solving. <laughs> And uh, but the thing is, if you look at what we're making a film about this intergenerational trauma and inheritance trauma and clerical abuse and all these dark subjects, I mean, it was never going to be a doddle anyway. And we had to shut down two weeks in or four days in because we had a COVID scare and it's hard that we didn't, blah, 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 which killed our budget. And then we had to restart two weeks later. Which ended up being the best thing to happen to us, but we didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a hard one to keep together. And, like, I had to email everybody and just say, listen, uh, look at the film we're making. Look at what this is about. If this is easy, we haven't done our job. This is going to be hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So um, some some of the actors had to go to fucking dark places, like, you know. And I, I learned so much about fucking acting from watching these other mm-hmm. actors as well, being an observer. And uh, just getting the fuck out of the way, you know. When you say dark places, do you mean within themselves mm. as actors? For sure, yeah. Like, uh, this might sound really stupid, but give us an understanding of what you mean by that. Because I, th- I think we don't really, we kind of just see actors as, you know, that it's 
I don't even know how to explain it. Like we just see you in the final product. So we yeah. kind of just think that it's a very simple, easy process for you. You just learn the script and then you add a little bit of flavor to it. Well, I can tell you, you, I've done a lot of jobs in my life and a lot of different stuff and went through a lot of stuff. And I can tell you, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is try to cultivate a good performance, mm -hmm. which is what I give in Carver Gangsters. Objectively, a good performance. That wasn't a great performance. It was a good performance. And it was good enough for me to win loads of awards and whatever, but it was just good. That's mm -hmm. my opinion and I can be objective. That that was so hard to do that because acting is a craft and I hate, I hate when it kind of gets too like arty-farty about it and whatever because I think we need to get away from that. And I don't, I, I don't think just because you're doing a thing that is deemed as an art that you are doing art. I don't think just uh, being an actor means you're an artist. Being a painter means you're an artist. I believe mm -hmm. that the craft has to transcend and get to a certain level. Okay. And it becomes art. You know, so you have to get really good at the craft first. And then you can transcend and make art. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. Now, with acting, to get to those places, there are kind of three kind of dominating spaces, um, um, practices that you can apply so there's the, what we know as the Lee Strasberg method or method acting. That came from the Stanislavski system, right? Konstantin Stanislavski, who was a Russian actor and director 130, 40 years ago. And one day was on stage and found that he had a moment of truth on stage, right? Something changed, something clicked. And he said that he discovered this method. He didn't invent it because he believes whenever an actor ever performed with truth, that was this Met this uh, system that he created essentially but again said he discovered now what came from that was the sort of new york acting boom uh, and the method so lee strasberg studied under stanislavski and was influenced by him and he created his own method from that and that became now what we know as method acting mm -hmm. um in which he tried to embody the character and tell the truth and there are di there are different ways of doing it so under Stanislavski, there's that Strasberg, but then there's also Stella Adler. So Stella Adler would have taught Marlon Brando and De Niro. Mm -hmm. Strasberg would have taught Dustin Hoffman and Gene Hackman. Then there's Meisner who would have taught Rockwell and, and many other great actors. And So there are three different practices. So they all stem from Stanislavski, but they have different outlooks of how to get to that place, that dark place. So what Stella Adler believed is that you use the circumstances of the script or the play to get there. So use those circumstances, embody yourself into the character and use that and go to that place there emotionally through that. Strasberg, Strasberg believed the original Stanislavski method, method, which is kind of debated on whether he switched his mind in later years or not, which is using emotional recall, so your own trauma, reliving your own trauma. Now, it that can work and it can not work and then it can, you know, and it can do damage to you because mm -hmm. you're reliving trauma. You're torturing yourself without a professional around you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then there's the Meisner technique which is use imaginary circumstances. So any circumstances that would get you to each. So I, as an actor, would use all of them. I would just go go through it, whatever's kind of working for me. Mm -hmm. I used to fixate on the, my own trauma and the emotional recall of the Strasbourg method uh, and then that just fucks with your head and then sometimes it just doesn't work because mm -hmm. you just get a empathy fatigue, you know? And then I've used the circumstance of the character and then to empathize with the character and that has worked and then sometimes it hasn't. And then other times it's just created circumstances as imaginary for, for what Meisner did. So with these actors, they're kind of, go, they're using one method or the other and they're getting to the sort of that place and you're watching it and you're watching how they were getting there and how they're grown. And for me as a director, it was a delight. I learned so much as an actor and then as a director, because for me, it's about um, handing the power over to the actors. Mm-hmm. 
making them realize, not me giving, making them realize that they own the characters. I don't own the fucking character. Mm. You own the character. If you empower actors with that, well, then they'll, they'll go anywhere for you and they'll go anywhere for the character. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you try to construct their performance and you stay on them and you're micromanaging a performance, uh, you're killing the creativity mm. and then things become very structured <laughs> and dull. And I've seen this and I've witnessed this and I've been directed like that. Yeah. Uh, so the, the key is to just give them total freedom, realise they own it. I'm not the sum of all, I'm not all the answers to everything, you know. Mm. Uh, I declare that with them. You know, and for me, it's about I don't think there's as a director, I didn't have like a super micro specific vision. I had a vision that was constantly evolving mm. and become more beautiful and, and serendipity taken over and, and and spirituality is taken over and we're being guided in some way. And we roll with the punches no matter what mm-hmm. we roll with them, no matter what. Don't ask no questions. Just keep going. So that's what the whole process was like. And I learned so much about myself and and just, it really had everything for me again. Just brought all the passion back again, you know? Ah, oh, it sounds ama- like I'm totally sold yeah. by what you're saying. Yeah. Well, look, it's a dark subject, but I mean, the approach we take, like we're, it's a, I'll, let me give you a little bit of synopsis on what it's about and what yeah. the Black Wealth means. So the <clears throat> Black Wealth were a group of people in ancient Rome that wanted to uphold the power of the Pope. Oh, fizzy. <laughs> I thought Spark didn't be a good idea to, to counteract with the coffee. But anyway, we'll have to get a cleaner in there. Do <laughs> a budget for a cleaner. Uh, anyway. We should have champagne, to be honest. Ah, uh, fuck that. I'm off I the I can't stop. Though. I can't stop. <laughs> you give me a bottle of champagne and be looking for a bottle of vodka an hour later. Uh, so the Black Wealth were a group of people in ancient Rome. Yeah. They wanted to uphold the power of the Pope. They were essentially Pope loyalists and they wanted a Pope to run the economics of Rome. Now, the White Wealth were the opposite he fought against that so if you fought against the black wealth and you were against the pope essentially you'd be banished or massacred or killed and they were pretty bad people now virgil the famous italian poet was banished by them now virgil was the poet that wrote dante's inferno right, right? so we're kind of doing an, an kind of an, a loose sort of urban tale a modern day of dante's inferno and what we're saying with the Black Wealth is that the Black Wealth is essentially Ireland, the state of Ireland, not its people. Mm-hmm. The state that chose to uphold the power of its institutions over the interests of its people. So it's putting the state and its institutions on trial, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's about a middle-aged addict who goes back to visit his old industrial school. And um, he's confronted with a trauma. And he's confronted with his family and his, his neglect and all the bad things he's done and his guilt and his shame, mm. which is ingrained in everyone. We all have our own guilt. We all have our own shame. I suppose he'd have an extreme uh, sense of that, going through what he did. And then this thing of abandonment and abandoning his kids. So it's about sort of the life script. That we might have talked about this before, but we're all born with our own life script and mm-hmm. 95% of people stay on that script. And it, the script is written by your parents and your uncles and your aunts and your cousins and your friends and your environment and your teachers and whatever. And most people stay in line with that life script. And I suppose what he's trying to do is life in this point in time when we're meeting him, this this uh, kind of nuclear time, he's trying to rip up that life script and he's either going to recover and find an awakening mm-hmm. or he's going to die literally, figuratively, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the setup for the film, yeah. So good. 
We'll see. Or I'm sure to ruffle, or it is sure to ruffle a few feathers as well. Oh, it's it's gonna do that. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna do that. You have no idea. Uh, and listen, <laughs> you know the thing. Like I be, I do be. Like people call me controversial, right? Yeah. And I do get it because I'm not stupid. Like, and I, I can be objective. I get it totally. Mm-hmm. But I'm not being controversial to be controversial. Like, I'm yes. genuinely not You're following your truth. Look, I genuinely am, and that's just who I am. And I, I, I am the sum total of every single human being I've ever met and had an experience yes. with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see, I maybe people say I'm a contrarian. I, they can say that too. I mean, because I think your men, you're being told to kind of line up one way or another, and if you don't line up in a straight line, mm. then you're being a contrarian, or you're you're a hypocrite, or you're this or that. What I've decided to do is like just step away from all that stuff politically, as in. Just that literally being there fighting with a mic in your hand and all that. It's the lowest common denominator for me on a spiritual level. Do you know Why what I mean? Why do you say that? Because you won't affect change like that, right? Okay. They say cream rises to the top. In politics, sewage rises to the top. Mm. And that's what happens. And when you put yourself out there, you put yourself up for attack and you got to be willing to take that and you... And that's just the way it is. But there, I don't think the reward for that is there. Mm. And it took me a long time and a sort of metamorphosis to realize that I, I had inklings of it. I, I was told it, but it wouldn't go in, you know. And I'm a very open-minded person. But so it took, but it took me a while to understand that that is just not the way. It's not the way for me. So what I'm doing now is is putting absolutely everything into art, everything into creativity. Mm-hmm. And since I moved out and moved in with my friend Ternan, like we've done, redi- we've done a ridiculous amount of work, like mm. uh, during COVID and and filmmaking and writing and acting and everything. I've just fucking said yes to everything and went and done mm. everything and just threw myself into it. And I'm finding I'm growing so much as a person, so much as a fucking artist. Uh, I'm accessing things that I used to struggle to access. Mm-hmm. And now what's happening, it's, uh, things are kind of coming together for me. And I under, and now I, when this, this film comes out, it's going to be like a bomb dropping because mm-hmm. of what we're doing in it. And then the conversation will arise from that. Well, and then I'll talk around that. This is what I was going to ask you in that, you know, you're saying that that's not how, you, you know, standing with a mic in your hand is not how you invoke change. So what I wanted to ask, and especially when you were going through, like describing about everything that yourself and the cast have been through over the last couple of weeks. What is it that you hope from the viewer to happen when they watch your film or they watch your project or they, you know, what what do you want the outcome to be? Very simple. Healing. Mm-hmm. That's it. I've realised that and I've known it as well for a while but I'm becoming more aware of it. So when you come, become super aware of something and you, and you don't lose sight of that is... Then you can stay in the right track. Mm-hmm. And for me, I got into acting and art and creativity. Like, I got into creativity as a kid. I was, like, I mean, I, I looked at it. I, I watched the Jordan Peterson thing re- recently. It was an hour talk on the create the psychology of creativity. Mm-hmm. And uh, this uh, this um, journalist asked him, how would you um, create the perfect creative how would you do that? You know, as a kid, yeah. what do you do as a parent to, <laughs> yeah. to support your child in creativity? Yeah, yeah. And he said, unfortunately, none of that'll work. He said, the more you support that and all of it, none of that will mm-hmm. work. He said, you want to know how you create the perfect creative? Someone is going to be really creative. 
He said childhood trauma. He said, Ugh. have them lose a child before 10, he said. He said, you want to go further? He said, have them lose a, lose a, sorry, lose a, fa- lose a mother or father before 10. Have a go further, have them lose that mother or father to suicide. And it just hit home with me because I lost my father. Since of course, yeah. And it hit home with me because of because what happens is you be, the creativity kicks in because you're you've been you've been confronted with the hardest question of all, the hardest problem of all to solve, which is overcoming that trauma and making sense of that suicide, making sense of that loss mm. and that grief. So you you don't even understand it at that time; it's your unconscious. And I can see it now throughout my whole life. So when acting came around. There was this huge moment of fucking catharsis and inner fucking healing. Mm. And when I fucking tour around the country or the world doing me one man show, like I get he- I get healing from that. Yeah. Major healing. Like um and what is I I concentrate on people and that I I hope someone comes to the show tonight that wants to see the show, that needs to see the show. Someone is gonna find something from this show and then it goes the opposite way. Like I I think I told the story before, but my grandfather who died about a year and a half ago was essentially my father took over from my father and my hero I looked after him the last six months of his life because I was literally living next door to him along with me and other family members but every day I gave him his medication and I looked after him and I tried to give him a bit of dignity in debt because he didn't mm-hmm. want one of his daughters doing it and you know that kind of thing and whatever gender thing and mm-hmm. you know a daughter seeing certain stuff and whatever so yeah so I just thought I need to keep it strong and I need to just fucking give me his dignity that's the best thing he gave me so much and learned me so much and and that's all I can do and, and just give that to him. And he was getting anointed by the priest priest and I got a phone call um from the Darndale Rehab Centre. And I hadn't done my show in maybe four or five months. So you kinda lose the lines and whatever and you're just not sharp or whatever. And what I've forgotten was I uh, I agreed to do a show for them. And he called me and he said, John, are you ready to do the show? You're on stage in 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah. Now, to put into context, I hadn't slept in three days. I was just drinking coffees because I didn't want to miss my grandfather's death. And I was strung out in coffee, smoking a bazillion fags, voice fucked, just physically, emotionally, you mean, like, couldn't be more destroyed. And I just didn't want to miss his death. And, but what am I going to say at this Darndale fucking rehab centre? Like, am I going to say no? So I couldn't say no. So I said, yeah. And he said, look, can you get over in 15 minutes? And I said, okay. So I got to the place, got to the door, was confronted with a couple of the counsellors, therapists. They obviously could see right through me, could see what was going on. And I said, look, this is going to be an absolute car crash. I'm telling you that. But I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to try. But just know that. So I don't even know if I know the lines. I've no energy. I don't know where this is going to go. I'm mostly I'm very unstable right now. And they were like, oh, Jesus, um, are you sure you want to do it then? And there was like 35 people, addicts in the room, like we're all looking forward to it. From my area, you know what I mean? Mm. And I says, don't ask me, sure, just let me do it. Just give me two minutes. And I just got myself together. I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Calm the anxiety down, taking a panic attack. And I walked onto the kind of make-do stage that they meant for me. And I said the first line of the show. And I used the anxiety to kind of incorporate it into the so I did a kind of different performance and they all started to laugh and I fed on the laughter mm. and I started improvising and kind of using terms and colloquial terms that you'd know from the area and kind of references 
And before I got into the play, I just basically did 10 minutes of stand-up <laughs> without even realising it, you know, that kind of way. I just kept feeding for the laughs and he kept laughing. And the 10 minutes of laughter fucking fueled me like fucking, uh, like an energy injection. And then I did the show and it, the show was normally, you saw it, it's 55 minutes or whatever, yeah. 60 minutes. So we ended up doing like a 70 minute show. And uh, by the end of it, they all gave me a standard ovation and they were all crying. And uh, I start crying. And they were all thanking me. And I, I said to them, like, I said, you don't understand. I said, I said, I hope you got something out of this, but I can tell you, you did so much for me. Mm. This saved me. I needed this one. So thank you. You have no idea what that meant to me. And we all start hugging each other. And that is what art is about. Mm. It's about community. And it's about love, you know what I mean? Mm. Love and spirituality and connecting with each other. And I know they're all fucking cliche, fucking wanky hippie things to say, but it's the truth. And when you find that, mm. you know that's all that fucking matters. That's all about, and everything else is fucking immaterial. It doesn't matter. So career-wise now is just focusing on that love, that spirituality, that healing. And with this film, I hope that first of all, it'll rattle some cages. It questions people's beliefs. I hope it gets people angry mm -hmm. um, because what happened in this country under the rule of the Catholic Church um, was catastrophic for us as a people mm -hmm. and for the collective of your soul. And we haven't dealt with it. We're the greatest in the world that we're oppressing our emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and we say like we're a pretty liberal society now, but I think that's really just a cult of liberalism because I think we're really repressive uh, and we don't actually like talking about stuff. And, mm -hmm. We're maybe good at talking about talking like we want to talk about stuff now, which is a step. So with this film, I hope it gives people healing. And the people who who went through that and and recognised that or had family that went through that, I hope they feel like they've been represented, that they've been given a voice. So big hopes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no doubt, no doubt big that hopes. they will. But it's interesting what you mentioned there about generational trauma. Yeah. That's a kind of a hot topic for me at the moment mm. where I'm trying to understand how to heal personal generational trauma that I don't particularly know about, Yeah, which I've just found out is actually a thing where I was like, well, that doesn't help anyone. So what is your understanding of generational trauma and how it affects us as an individual? Well, even if it's stuff you are not aware of, it's going to affect you because it's going to affect the people who are aware of it. Yes. And therefore, yep. it's going to it's going to shape you and have a ripple effect on you. Yeah. Because a great predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Mm -hmm. That's basic psychology. Um, and with trauma, that shapes your behavior and where you're going to go and see, not dealing with trauma. I read this quote from Jacques Lacan, who was like sort of the third joint of psychology and psychoanalytics like Freud and then there's Jung and then there's Lacan which they say mm -hmm. went back to Freud and he kind of went back to kind of Freud's philosophies and this quote floored me uh, because it's so fucking true and it's simple and it's what isn't said becomes a symptom mm. now if Jacques Lacan was alive today Jacques Lacan would be called someone far right even though he's far left <laughs> that time yeah. it's and what I mean because he was free speech you know, because and all psychotherapists are mad free speech. Of course they are, mm. because they don't believe in repression, because repression is the worst thing you can do to yourself. Not resolve stuff. Anything that is unresolved is going to have catastrophic 
circumstances there for you. So you have to resolve the stuff that's going on inside you and your mm -hmm. unconscious. You have to tap into that. You have to say what you're not willing to say. You have to. Or it's all going to come out in your behavior. It's going to come out in your self-destructive behavior. I'm a perfect example of it. I've done this my whole life. Mm. I've ignored all my trauma my whole life. Listen, this is how fucking... This is how mad... This is how mad we can... This is how mad we can go and this is how fucking oblivious we can go to our own traumas. I'll use myself as, a, as an example. At about 17, I took a fucking mental breakdown and was fucking doing mad shit. And I was extremely violent. Extremely, right? And um, I never bullied anybody, but if you give me an opportunity, I'm breaking your jaw. And that was 17. No, genuinely, and it's not a brag. It's a horrible thing to say. <clears throat> it's so separate from the person that I know and you yeah, right now, but you I'm know? 17, so it's a long time as well. But you have to learn through life not to break people's jaws and get your own <laughs> jaw broken, you know what I mean? But... So I had, first of all, before my father died, I had found my father trying to commit suicide, right? Images I'll never forget. Saw a lot of mad shit. And then finally he killed himself. Mm. And then when he killed himself, we start, me and my brother Joe started getting bullied by their traveling uncles. And they'd say, your daddy killed himself and blah, blah, blah. And we were fighting literally every day. Every, every single day me and Joe fought on our way to school. After school, we were getting bullied because we'd never back down because our father told us to never back down. So unfortunately, that seed that he planted for us to never back down resulted in us getting bad beatings because we'd never say we're bet. So we were beaten to bloodied and like to a pulp at times, you know, and hospitalized sometimes. So we'd never stop. We were relentless. And then adults would bully us because they could take advantage of us because we never had a father, especially in, in the travel community and all that and stuff. So adults were coming at us and everyone was coming at us. Then with school, we were being called knacker and pikey by other kids and even teachers, right? So we were getting trauma left, right and center. So I joined boxing in order to become a man and fight back and whatever. Mm -hmm. And within six months, I won a lot of titles and I knew it was a natural athlete and great and whatever. And I gained loads of confidence. And I thought it was going to be professional boxing. That was going to be my career and whatever. So I hit about 17 then and... There's a few little, there were a few events of trauma as well that got me in a dark place, but there was something unexplained that I couldn't get to. I just couldn't understand what was happening. There was something bubbling underneath me and thoughts coming into my head. And I was going, where the fuck is this all coming from? And not for one second did I think that had any connection to my father, to my bullying and to everything that happened to me up until that moment. Not for one second. And if someone mentioned, I would think that's ridiculous. And I'd call them a posh American for thinking that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, Lydia? That's how much we can ignore trauma. Yeah. When that was the, my behavior was the exact result of my mm -hmm. trauma. And I was a reasonably intelligent 17-year-old. And that couldn't get through to me. That's how good we are at fucking repressing our emotions and trauma. And especially in this country called Ireland. Mm. We're pros at it. I mean, if you look at colonialism, what colonialism was was oppression, oppression and repression too. You know? And then the Catholic Church was another rule. That was colonialism. Mm -hmm. You know? That was oppression and we repressed everything too. You know? And these doctrines, like that doesn't... Like we're talking about... Uh, the intergenerational trauma and all that. Even like it's no, it's not long ago that Catholic rule, if you want to call it that, ended in this country, you know. Mm. And our family and, and parents and grandparents behaved in a different way than us. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to the idea of trauma, of course that's gonna even if you don't know better, of course it's gonna affect you because it shaped the person before you in a certain way. 
and they behaved in a certain way towards you because of that trauma. Yeah. So you're inheriting that trauma. That's a fact. That's basic science. That's psychology. Fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's why it's important to fucking... Lo- how, how do we heal as a society? Well, how do we heal? Unfortunately, like, there is healing, right? But unfortunately with trauma, we never get over trauma. Yeah. We have to understand we never really get over it. Trauma's always going to be there. It's how to deal with the trauma, recognise when the trauma is causing you to behave like this. Mm. So see the connections and then stop that. That thing is always going to be there. You know what I mean? And it's just about that going towards the light. Mm-hmm. But we're never going to be perfect and no one is perfect and no one has a perfect life. And everyone from every background, whether you're rich or poor or in between, goes through trauma. That's just the reality. But just being made aware of your actions and how your trauma has, has, has fed its way into your life and your behaviours. So obviously acting and being creative has been an outlet for you to help you heal to a certain degree. But is there anything else? You know, you're so you've got so much wisdom when it comes to like looking at the psychology of yourself and of others. So where did that come from? You know, did you go to therapy? Did you read books on it? Like, Um, how how did you heal? I don't know if I'm healed. That's the thing. You're still healing. I'm still healing. Yeah, of course. Like, but I'm I'm still on this journey. And I keep and I fall off track and I jump back on track mm. because it's not like these American fucking films and and that oh my god this one moment that changed my life. <laughs> There's none of that. I mean, what does Socrates say? You have to fail. You might have to fail a thousand times in order to succeed. Yeah. And it's something like that. And I'm hoping that fucking me thousand time will find fucking. What Google. makes you fall off the the wagon of you know? Being honest, my triggers, which are uh, these, are not like micro triggers, or not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like my we all have our triggers, and uh, <laughs> and I don't mean that in the PC sense, um, like um, dealing with a lot of stress, um, yeah. definitely does something to you, and then family stuff that happens, that's big for me, um, and then seeing people's behavior around me, and I know where it comes from. Yeah. It kind of triggers my own behavior and then you yeah. sort of mirror that behavior and you realize that you're all fucking, you're all fucking doing it unconsciously then, you know? Yeah. So, and then you start fucking whatever, I might excess drink then for a bit or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, look, it's not, what I'm finding is, I'm, I'm showing progression in that the falls are becoming less and less, less and less. So mm-hmm. they're happening less and less, the little fall off tracks, they're happening less and less and they're not as extreme and I'm pulling back the extremity of them because I'm very extreme. That's the problem. Yes, um, extreme we've talked about this before. We yeah. both have a touch of the extremity. Yeah, and listen, I mean, that's a creative <laughs> thing as well. And look, it's what, going back to the Jordan Peterson thing is what he said. If you want to make a real true creative, make make their parent die before they're 10 and uh, make sure the parent die choose suicide. And he said, you're going to get someone really creative. But he said, mm-hmm. you're also going to get someone who's going to be have a chaotic life. It's a perfect prescription for a very bad life. Mm-hmm. So it's about falling in between, you know what I mean? And trying to find that fucking balance of that, this fucking balancing thing and trying to find it on my life. But trauma is so hard to get away from that. It's mad because it's, it's in those acute moments, those moments when you're drinking or you go too far and whatever, that's when mm-hmm. it all comes back. It all comes from, from the back to the forefront of your mind. Mm. And it dominates your thoughts then, which makes the next end of that session or whatever it is, hell. Yeah. You're going to hell. You know, there's the concept, Jack Lacan has the concept of the real. It's like the shadow kind of thing that Jung has. But the real is, there's the real 
there's the symbolic and there's the imaginary. So the imaginaries where I like to play, obviously, and it's in creativity and it's, but the imaginary is ignoring a lot of stuff that's going on as well. You know, and what happens is sometimes when you get out, you get sort of fatigued from that, you fall into the symbolic. And when you fall into the symbolic, uh, you kind of lose language. And you see, sometimes you might get a bit depressed or anxiety. Your mm. language starts to deteriorate a bit. You get a bit blah, 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 blah. Do you, you ever get like that? Yes. <laughs> well, so that's you being in the symbolic. Yeah. And that's you trying not to fall into the real, mm. which is the real you and the darkness and the depth of you. Mm-hmm. Because we all have a persona yeah. uh, and our ego, our persona, whatever you want to call it. But that's shaped in how other people think of us. Yes. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that is fake. Mm-hmm. And the true us, when we're left with the true us after a three day bender and we're looking at the ceiling, <laughs> you're in the real <laughs> and you're left with your true self because yeah. your ego is gone. Yeah. And it's hell because mm-hmm. you've delivered your true self. Yes. And we're capable of dark things and the worst of things. Mm. But most people ignore the real and never go there. Most people just go around whistling and are happy enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're trying your best to stay away from the real. And sometimes <laughs> as an actor, you have to go to the real. Yes. to drag something up you know mm. and that's why you get so many actors fucking suffer depression or they go suicide or get a because they go into the real or they embody their shadow they become aware of their shadow mm. you know what I mean so you're trying to stay away from that and trying to stay yeah. in the imaginary and imaginary is great that's fun you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to stay in that you know what I mean yeah, it's all about imagination it really is but um, what I want so to- back to what I'm saying go on yeah I've learned it all just through life and then yes. meeting certain people along the way mm. and uh, I've taken every bit of information I deem as important is stored there somewhere in my brain I'll you have take- a mad brain John yeah. but like, anything you remember not- a lot like I only remember the important stuff right <laughs> yeah, it's funny as that, but some of my really good friends like they'll just go how do you not remember that it's not important you know what I mean yeah, I just yeah. whenever I go this is important or I kind of if I meet a, an interesting person I'll interrogate them yeah. you know what I mean because if you look at somebody like you meet somebody on the street where they're 30 years of age to me I look at them like a 30 year old book yeah. and they're the expert of that book Yes, you know what I mean they've yeah. so much to give you so um it's weird because I love listening. This I'm on here talking, but I love listening. And I, I, Tiernan Williams, who's who, we're with Cluster Fox together. T- meeting Tiernan was a huge thing for me because he's a psychotherapist and uh, and a cognitive scientist. And the first few months we were working together, I was working under him as a support worker for this kind of sort of addiction program. When, when in reality, I probably should be on the fucking program. But, uh, <laughs> but he was the he was the, he was the manager, and he's from Ballymun. And I looked at him like my own sort of. Class bias and I'm from the bottom and I'm going you're from Ballymun and you have a master's in psychotherapy and cognitive scientists like my own snobbery yes. you know what I mean yeah, but yeah, I, which yeah. I checked but I said it to him I said I bet you get it because you're like an, you're like a unicorn you know what I mean <laughs> and then it was like and then I was getting paranoid I was going oh he's psychotherapy he's gonna be he's picking up everything you know what I mean and I was like trying to just say nothing to be cool for about six months you know and then one day one day uh, I just started interrogating him a bit and asking about stuff and stuff that was flying around my own head. And um, and then he, he was telling me about this Gestalt uh, therapist. His name was Gestalt. Right. And it's this sort of improvisational uh, psychotherapy. Really fucking crazy shit, but fucking profound. Profound. Right. And I said, are you trained in that? He said, yeah, because he's an integrative psychotherapist. So he's learned... He's I'll learn all the methods. I need the to get young. him on this podcast. Yeah, you should. He's learned the young, the young Vian method, Freud, fucking Lacan, you name it, all them gestalt. So he can literally slip into each one of these and wow. do therapy into one depending on his his patient, you know. So I said to him, being real sceptical, I said, that's a lot of bollocks, the, the gestalt thing, yeah. <laughs> 
And I said, all right, yeah. I said, do a bit of gestalt on me. I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm there with Tiernan and then another girl who was working there. And he said, ah, oh, man, you know, you don't want to do it, you know. So I said, do it, do a bit like. And what I didn't realize that he's psychological evaluation of me was was what was going to make that work and yeah. I didn't even realise he had this down on Rhea already yeah. do you know what I'm saying yeah 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 yeah. so yeah. <laughs> we sit down facing each other and um, he asked me a question and he said because he knew it's all around what he already knows about me and what he's trying to get out Yeah. and he's a few different methods like this that are freaky out it's like you would think it's it's psychic it's mm-hmm. that accurate because he's such a sharp fucking tool you know what I mean yeah. like but he said um he said, imagine there's someone next to you. It can be anyone, anyone at all, but don't tell me who it is. Now, what made me say this person to myself was the fact that I wasn't going to have to say who it was. Yeah. This, and this is how he got me. Right. So I imagined it was my father, yeah. which I don't know where it came from. But, the, but what, what that meant was he had an evaluation of me in which he knew, this is seven, eight years ago, which he knew why he was repressing everything got through with my father. Yeah. But if he gave me the permission not to say who it was, I was going to put him in that chair. Yeah. Right? That's what I realised later on from just well. digging into his head and learning from him. Yeah. So then he was saying, what would you say to that person? And then I went, what? Say something to that person. And I went, oh, that's going to give it away. Yeah. And then I thought, then he said, what would these say to you right now and the way you are in your life? And I just broke down and cried. Oh, damn, it was our fucking crying. Yeah. And that was that was in that was in <laughs> not messing. That was sixty seconds. So that was oh. that was about eight, seven, eight years ago. So I've been, I've now he's one of my best friends and I live with him. So you can imagine how much I've learned from him. Do you know oh, what I mean? Shit. So so I he says he paid for his education for mine as well. That's such a good practice. Yeah, yeah. You know, to yeah, even yeah. do that yourself yeah. at home, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Like So I learned a lot from him to answer your question. And other people along the way, you just take from people like What's there, sign, is he? Mm. I don't know. He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't believe in that shit. When's his he wouldn't believe in that. He's not coming on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is that is like that's huge. That's got such an impact, even to just like put yourself in that position and like, how are you in the in in those vulnerable moments? How are you? Yeah. Yeah. You can break down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or when do you ever see when you're going through a struggle and someone shows you a bit of love? Oh, it's the worst. It's the I, same I never thing want as what this. You're it's like, oh, God, no. Yeah. Or someone. Don't, or don't, don't. Yeah, show how me are compassion. you? As you said, are you all right? Yeah. Or a hug. Mm. In those moments, it's like, it's enough to break it down. Like, yeah. You know? And you know what's funny with me? I'm very good in those moments with yeah, other people. With other people. But yeah. not for myself. No, we never are. Why? We never are. Why? We're experts when we're talking about somebody else. And I'm the best in the world at giving out advice. Yeah. I'd probably take about half it myself. <laughs> and I know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking contradiction in, in that sense in my behaviours too. In that I'm, I know what's the right thing to do. And I know it and I've learned it through my own harsh experiences. But I don't always apply it to myself. Because mm. then I go... Fuck it. Just fuck it. And that's the worst for me when I go fuck it. Because anything can happen then when I say well, I was going it. to ask you what happens there. Anything. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I go, what happens. I say fuck it and I, don't, I block it out because that's mm. me using my psychotic. Because yeah. I have psychotic tendencies. Again, it comes from trauma and all that stuff. Mm. So I can turn on the psychotic. And the psychotic is good in the sense that the psychotic can get you hard times. 
and sometimes you need it to kind of numb yourself out and not feel because I can just go to a stage where I don't feel nothing mm. and I, I literally tell myself don't feel nothing and I just don't do it so to get through certain things like my grandfather's funeral I just went don't don't feel nothing pull it that's it till it's over let's deal with the explosion afterwards just trying to keep it together mm. using that psychotic and that fuck it but it's dangerous you know what I mean well I was going to say is that wise is it no, wise no it's not wise that? at no. all yeah. not at all you know and it's not even about and that's not even about repressing things that's more about just ignore it for now we mm. get back to because I know there's no ignoring it I know you're going to get back to that no matter what mm. but the problem is you let things build up then and it's an explosion and it's very hard to put out a fire like when it's fucking the size of Hiroshima you know what I mean <laughs> But one thing that I wanted to ask you while we're, we're talking about your, your grandfather, because actually I watched the um, Living With Lucy was back on just recently. Right. Yeah. So I watched it. Yeah. It's very good. But um, obviously your your grandfather was in that and your grandmother as well. Yeah. <clears throat> your grandmother. Can we talk about her? Yeah. yeah. I just got a mad buzz that I was like, she has some kind of psychic ability when I was watching her on that show. Oh, no doubt. Oh, oh come on. We have to talk about it, please. Like me Because you know I had, uh, had Teddy's. Yeah, Teddy's Yeah, have a listen here. to that. I'm going to listen to that. It was a good. John. Great time. Oh, my God. Like, she, um, she literally, like, I was rattling on the chair. Yeah. Yeah. My grandfather came in. My grandmother was here. I got my mom on speakerphone. Yeah. Colette was able to tell her stuff like that. I didn't even know. Oh, it yeah. was wild. Uh, Colette has the gift with her though. Like I remember Seriously. one time me and um, me and Teddy. <laughs> uh, this was probably 2014 or something, 13 maybe. We came back from the blacker and we were going back to, to <laughs> Teddy's mother and father's to retrieve a bottle of vodka in Teddy's room. We're like young kids, you know. And Teddy and, uh, uh, sorry, Teddy's mother and father, Willie and Colette, were in the kitchen and having a bottle of beer. And uh, they're the loveliest people ever. Like, yeah. to be honest, like the most hospitable, just beautiful, spiritual, welcoming people. Like, you walk into their place and it's just mm. love. They're just beautiful people. Like, and it's no wonder Teddy's the way he is. You know what I mean? Like, that's exactly just, what I said to her last rearing, week. You know, really yeah, good, really good, good rearing. Good rearing. Like, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Colette said, John, there's someone beside you, you know. There's an old woman beside you. She's really dark. Is it a grandmother or maybe older? I think her name begins with N. That's my great grandmother, Nan McCann. Wow. Serious, yeah. Yeah, mad. Yeah. How are you in that moment when she said that I to you? I fucking loved it, yeah. I, 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 I'm not, I grew up with that. That's kind of my culture. So, yeah. look, it's hard for me to think of things objectively sometimes because I come from where I come from and my things and my beliefs and... And I grew up in a spiritual way, religious and spiritual, and I'm not religious now, but I'm definitely spiritual. Um, and like my grandmother's a human lie detector, you know what I mean? So like I'd often, I'd walk into my grandmother years ago and I'd just walk in and she'd be looking out the window smoking a fag said, how are you, John? She wouldn't be looking at you. And what's going on with you? Look through you. I know what's going on with you. There's a girl, isn't there? And she does little things like this and she'd know yeah. everything. And I'd go, what the fuck? Girl? Do you know this granny? You know, I'm a witch, don't you? And she said, like, I remember when we were a child, live younger than that, right? Yeah. Me and me, brother Joe used to go mental and whatever. And it was obviously after my father died and all that. So yeah. our behavior went, went, through, went through a bad phase and whatever. And my mother, God help us, was dealing with a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, and my mother's a real big heart and empathy and a bit soft in that way as well. And she didn't know how to, she, she just wasn't dealing with us and our blackguarding too well. So we were bringing about a lot of stress, right? And this in the old camp, we were probably about 10, 11 and we used to have no electricity we'd only have it maybe for an hour or two at night 
So my grandmother came in and there was no electric, so there was all lights were all out and she came in and it was just me and Joe inside on the bunk, just sitting at, at the fire, you know. Mm. We'd be chatting away and she walked in and she says, how are you boys? I said, oh, Granny, how are you? But it was a weird, she just sat her eyes and she wouldn't blink her eyes. And she sat down beside us and she was smoking a fag. And she kept smoking the fag and smoking. And we were looking at it and she's not dipping the ash. And she'd say, you know, only a witch can smoke it to the end without having it. <laughs> and we're going, Granny, what did we do? Because we know we're up in shit like, you're off little blackguards though, aren't you with your mommy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Granny, Granny, we're not going to do it. No, no, listen to me carefully. Still hadn't dabbed it the whole, the whole way down like that, right? She said, you know I'm a witch, don't you? You know it, boys. Oh, yeah, yeah, Granny, yeah. See, what I'm going to do is, if you don't stop messing with your mommy, <laughs> I'm going to cut you up in a million pieces. <laughs> I'm going to put you in a black bag. I'm going to put you at the end of my broom. I'm going to fly over the Liffey and drop you straight in the Liffey and no one will ever know. Granny, please, no, Granny, no! <laughs> So that's what I grew up with. Like, till I was about 15, I legitimately thought she's a witch. I still do in a different way. Mm. I would categorize her as a witch in a sort of a witch way in that she's super, super intuitive. Yeah. Super, yes, yes, super. Yes. Like her, it's like it's like everything else. People have different talents and some people are super intuitive. Their tools are so sharp with energy, with meeting people, with behaviors. They're like... They're like fucking psychologists untrained. You know what I mean? They just yes. have that. And it's like the best fucking psychologists or psychotherapists are those people who are already like that. And mm. then that's why you become, that's why you get some psychotherapists just, you're like, you don't know shit. You know yes. what I mean? You've just been trained educationally, you know that. But other people like Tiernan is someone who's super highly intuitive and then has the fucking education. Yes. So he's like the fucking Dalai Lama. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> On steroids. But uh, Chrissy is sort of like that. So that's sort of the, that's the culture I grew up in. So I'm not skeptic like that. Mm. I know there are people like that. My mother is a bit, of, a bit as well like that. Super intuition, really high intuition. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, that's the way, that's the way people, some people are. Yeah, I love it because the intuition thing is really important because when Colette was here, she was saying, you know, that we're all mediums. Yeah. in some capacity and yeah. she's saying like you know you and Shane are mediums of podcasts so yeah. you know the the the, the medium of, of of communication and different things and she was talking about intuition and how you know we all have this like ability to have these gifts that like I would like medium gifts or whatever it is yeah. and it's through the medium of intuition and we all have it but we're just have lost touch with ourselves 100%. Do you know what I mean? So that and it's was like, like a, it's like a form of intelligence as well. I mean, there's different types of intelligence. There's like, you know, there's the problem solving. There's openness, you know, mm -hmm. which is one. There's, there's all different ways of judging people on that sort of level. And some people are just super intuitive. And yeah. that helps in, in a, like, like, for instance, it, like if you were to, being a good communicator for one, right, is a type of intelligence in that if you are a really good communicator, you can pr you've probably so many avenues for a career to be mm -hmm. successful, and being intuitive is sort of like that as well. A really because you're a judger constantly of people, and you understand, you can observe behaviors, mm -hmm. and you can you can get into people, you know. So there's just different things. Like I, my little brother Packy's like that. He's really intuitive as well. Is he? Yeah, he's really intuitive. No like yeah, he's like my brother Joe as well. Me, Joe, and Packy were just blessed, blessed in 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 a certain way from bad shit to good shit and everything in between. Uh, and my father was a big part of it because my father was extremely intelligent which is usually happens if anybody's schizophrenic usually mm. people who are schizophrenic are off the charts IQ yeah. so we got all that my mother used to say God help her she used to say 
Uh, you got it from your daddy or she go and the, the teacher would say jeez the brain's the burn Kathleen uh, well they got it from the daddy they didn't get it off me <laughs> you know she God help her she got discouragement in school because when she went to school teachers were telling, telling her ah, you're going to make a good wife now when you can cook and clean one day and that's it the teachers would tell her so they never encouraged sort of her education and her brains mm. or whatever but me and John Bach you inherited that and you can't the thing about genes you just can't really get away from the genes well I said this is what I yeah. mean by saying to you earlier mm. on like you must like you're I've you're like an encyclopedia of knowledge. Only for the knowledge that no, I, I, I think No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I know you years now and yeah. you can have a conversation on many, many subjects. Uh, half the time I'm just fucking whacking. No, <laughs> you're, not, you're not, you're not, you're not. Oh you're not. yeah, that's interesting. I'm Googling under the table. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, a little bit me. <laughs> oh well, I do that. Can't listen. Do you ever just get on the Wikipedia page that follows you onto another one, another one, another one, another one, <laughs> and then you're like, you've a great amount of knowledge about a, a small, minute fucking subjects. Like, but um, yeah, no. Look, I love learning. That's what it is. Mm. I love learning. But um, unfortunately, school sort of school was like uh, school. I just rebelled in school constantly. So I was like, I I had you know the way the grades are like. I think it was poor, fair. Uh, good, very good, and then excellent. Yeah. So me and Joe would get excellent on everything, every single year on every report card, except for behaviour and punctuality. Because <laughs> we were rebelled against it. We just didn't like even being yeah, there. Yeah, you know? Even yeah. though I was interested on certain subjects. And um, and then a lot of other things got in the way. Like we ended up, because we got segregated in school. Like mm. We got segregated and put in an all-traveller class, right? And it'll give you a lot. It's kind of funny now when I think about it, right? They don't still do that, do they? They did it up until a couple of years, just a couple of years ago. But I'll give you a laugh. So we did, it was it was usually the practice that when Travis did second class and he were to go to third class, usually the bigger school, yeah. they would then be put in all Travis school after to do the communion, you know? So we, we went over and we were like, me and Joe like doing, like if, or off the charts fucking our tests every year and we get put into this all Travis class and we're going, this doesn't make sense, you know? So the teacher, I'll never forget his name. I'm not going to say his name because he was a decent fella and it was just part of the structure. He didn't know any better. But he, he, uh, we went in and we, he gave us crayons, you know. I mean, Joe looking at each other like my father would give me a newspaper at about four years of age and taught me to read it. You know what I mean? Before yeah. school even taught me. And he gave us crayons and I went, sir, what are, what are, we, what are we doing with crayons? And he said, I'll draw a picture or something. And I said, okay, so we, we don't read in this class. And he goes, you can read. I said, I can read. I said, 100%, of course I can read. So he gives me a book, I'll never forget it, Huggy Bear. And I said, sorry, I was reading this two years ago. You can read that book. I said, yeah, sir, of course I can read fucking Huggy Bear. Like. So me and George simultaneously start fucking reading Huggy Bear back to one. He said, Jesus, fair play to you. Look, there's other books if you want to read them over there. Like, you know. So what happened was we were there for about a month or say or more. And we didn't bother telling me mother because we were talking. We got it easier. But of course, me and Joe realized that we wanted something more intellectually challenging. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so we went back to my mother and we said, Mommy, uh, you know, just to let you know, we've been putting this all traveller class and we're just fucking doing crayons and shit like for the last month. And so he said, what? So she went over and caused hell and we left the class, the all traveller class, which there was just everybody of every different age, like from third class to sixth and there was no structure around it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was mad and then when me and Joe, the irony of the whole thing is when me and Joe go and do the, the secondary school exam on which we weren't even going to do because we wanted to quit school because our experiences so, were so bad mm-hmm. in school, um, I tested, and in this school's history, it was like a 40-year history of the school, I was the highest tested uh, student in their history. Um, and my brother Joe was the second. And oh. I was only beaten there 17 years later last year. No way! Yeah, yeah, because I was told by my old teacher came to visit me in a cup of tea. He went down to visit me to tell me your records had been beaten. 
Like that's it, so it's gas. But then I fucking went. I just went fuck this education when I went to secondary yeah. school because my my punctual problems and tendence and behaviour and all that stuff um, was was this is what's horrible about Irish education and secondary school in particular. The mm. grade and order of intelligence, the classes. So does the you know, you know the way they did that to do that in your school? Yeah, like that is fucking that. Talk about setting people up for failure. I was not up the top anywhere. Yeah, those yeah, bloody but, classes. But talk about setting someone yeah. up for failure and killing their self esteem at a young age. Yeah. Are you crazy? Because mm-hmm. I remember people we were put in the highest class, and I remember people in my class calling like fucking people at the bottom like mongos and all. You know, like yeah. it, you can imagine what that fucking does. And uh, so that's that was terrible. But what, what happened was it was so fucking difficult that because I'd I'd miss a week. I'd go back and they're talking about fucking this limestone and whatever and then and I'd go what the fuck what's this limestone and so and then another two weeks would go by and they're talking about fucking the infiguous this and fucking that and, and then I found that the only subjects that I was able to still compute in was fucking English and history so then I was going fuck this so then I just fucking start fucking just walking out of class randomly you know? and then remember one day going I was in a fucking French class and I was going, what the fuck am I learning French for? I don't even know fucking Irish. I said, sir, I just went up to Mr. Cagney and said, I'm not doing this no more. What? I said, I'm not doing it anymore. You know the bridge downstairs? I'm going to wait there every time the French class ends because I ain't learning fucking French. Fuck French. And then I just fell out of love with it. I, I yeah. started to feed into the kind of machoism of traveller culture and needing to go out and make money and be a man and use me hands and all that. You know what I mean? And I went away from education. And then a sort of acting kind of brought me back into education in a way in that it just sparked all the curiosity up again. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But isn't it funny how school just seems to teach people or... To teach people how to t- take exams. Yes. You don't teach people how to think for themselves. Yeah, the and, and the end product is most people leave school fucking hating learning or the idea of learning. Yeah, and when the, learning and, is the key. And that's the biggest complaint with fucking Irish, with the yeah. Irish language, is is because it's taught in an academic way and it should be taught more verbally if you actually course, want. Yeah. What's the result here you want? If you want a society in which people speak the language more, how the fuck do you teach that? You teach it more verbally, of course, mm. rather than in a written way all the time. That's why you see people now are so fascinated with Duolingo and that because they're doing it more mm-hmm. in a more verbal sort of way, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you're right. But, I mean, the education system is fucked, but it, you know what it comes from? The, the education system we have in the... No. The program we have. No. So in around... The, Here the, we go. The human encyclopedia is going to rant this, off this, some knowledge this, this, again. Some stuff I read, whatever. <laughs> but uh, in around the mid-1800s, uh, the British basically come up with an educational system that would produce the perfect British military gentleman. So you were, were like, why the fuck do we learn maths at any high end level of maths? Like, what the fuck is that useful for? It's useful for because they had... Um, uh, the bombs, the how would how would you describe the old school bombs? You know the uh, the cannon fire, yeah, the cannon fire. So it was a yeah. way to calculate with maths exactly how to hit them, where to hit them, whatever. So you were taught you taught maths because of that. You were taught French because it was the diplomatic language. You were taught English because to be a good English gentleman and have good writing and whatever things like that. So the different subjects for that they were giving you the subjects were set up in order to create the perfect British military gentleman, and to, still to this day that's what we're taught. And we're taught on that now. Are you taking the face out of me? No, right honestly, now? that's 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 what? that's the origin of it. That's the origin. Honestly, of it. yeah, and it's obviously different here and there and bits and bobs, but it's essentially the same programming. It's essentially the same programming. That's what it's for. Well, that's what it's for—a little indoctrination in your. Yeah, yeah, that's what you have to remember. All our institutions are all inherited by the British anyway. Same with America, essentially, and then a different bit, and then you got their own constitution, of course. But we're all just versions of the Anglo. We're all just you know, we're all anglicised. 
you know, and they were the rulers of the world. So, I mean, they were, yeah, they were good in education and other stuff and whatever. And then they just killed 150 million people worldwide, which is no harm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Never mind all the raping and pillaging and taking away of languages <laughs> and culture and eradication of all that stuff. Like, <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> My, Eng- my English friends I'm are- so ignorant to, yeah. to like our, our, our Irish culture I really am yeah do you know what I mean I well, really am well Irish culture is constantly evolving like um, uh, like or our heritage our heritage. heritage right yeah well what's important to know is this that the people who fucking colonised this country weren't the fucking regular working class or normal people or even middle class people. It's the elites. The elites of Europe were the colonisers. Yeah. They were ones who were benefiting when they were sending their own poor people to the forefront of their wars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's when Repu- when republicanism comes with this sort of anti-English hate or people, that's fucking idiotic. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. Never mind wrong, which is obvious. Um but it's important to know it's about the elites. It's, it's look at World War One, it was all fucking European elites, all the royalty starting it. Like these these caused the wars. It's the same people making money, the you know, the East India Company, all that. These were the people who were ruling the world, you know. They were a, a small centralized group of people mm-hmm. in which they, they created a sort of a, a, a facet, a lie, a culture around it to give people, empower people and whatever. You know what I mean? And it's, it was all just sold in a lie. Who benefits from imperialism when you fucking elite people? You know? Very true. Only the conquerors. Very, very true. The conquerors. Well, we're out of time. We're out of time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um... Before I let you go, I have a final question. Mm. Well, it's a two-part question. Okay. What is your favorite quality about yourself? And the second part, what is the worst quality that you feel that you have? Favorite quality about myself? I suppose... Can I give an extra answer as well? You can do what you want, you're John Connors. My favourite quality about myself is my openness to change. My favourite quality about other people is loyalty. And then my worst quality is self-sabotage. Mm, really good. Can we just break down those three real quick? <laughs> <laughs> so, because I know, I wouldn't say, even though loyalty is the biggest thing, like, you know, people How does say, someone show you that they're loyal? Just be loyal. Never fucking, never fucking do me wrong. Stand by me. And um, like, because I've learned a lot about friends, so-called friends, in certain political stances I've taken over the years. And people who, not just mates, Lydia, because we, we've a lot of mates, you know, mm-hmm. we've probably about five friends or whatever, or three or five, whatever. Mates and friends are different things. A lot of mates. But I had friends that when I was under the most stress and I've had thousands of people hating me online, sending me death threats, calling me all sorts of names, giving me fucking panic attacks. And I hate even admitting because it's like admitting that you're weak, but we all are weak at times. And that's mm-hmm. a fact. And it's embracing that too. But literally feeling like the world is going to end and how am I going to get out of this fucking chaos? And my career is ruined and my life is ruined and they think this about me and it's so inaccurate because I fucking love people and why do you think I hate people? I don't know. And then your fucking friend joins in and goes after you. Mm. And the last two to kind of three years, that's why I said loyalty. I've learned a lot about loyalty in the last three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the best quality I like in others. you know. And I didn't name it for my own because I just know I'm loyal anyway. That's just the way I am. It's mm-hmm. my nature. Um, but for me, I think the reason why I chose openness 
is because if you stay open, you're constantly changing, you're constantly evolving, you're mm -hmm. constantly improving, you know what I mean? And you're just learning so much. And then that is, you adapt, you put that onto something else. You look through something else through a different lens and it gets you to a different place. And it's just, and it's, you're just, you're going to a different place. It's just, it's, it's learning and it's fucking, ah, oh, I was a fucking idiot. Yes. I love that. When I go, fuck me. Jesus, what? 2015, I was some fucking idiot, wasn't I? Because <laughs> then I know I'm evolving, like, you know yes. what I mean? I'd like, I don't want to look at 2015 and go, geez, you fucking knew it all, Jesus, you're, mm -hmm. you're a smart fella, you still are a smart fella. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to stop that, you know what I mean? That's it, yeah. You don't want to look back five years ago and be the same person. No, you don't. You want to constantly think you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Oh, one yeah. last thing, a little bit of controversial one, I just want to say, right? Go on. Um, I don't know if it's controversial at all, but fuck it, I'll get it in. <laughs> Um, uh, it could be could be seen to <laughs> well the left won't like it put it that way the taller the tolerable left um, they're talking about fucking getting a putting the the, um, the voting aids down to 16 right which mm -hmm. all the lefties wants and it seems to be all across the board you want in Ireland now and who's left and right and whatever in Ireland now anyway let me tell you when I was 16 I was a fucking Egypt mm -hmm. I didn't know I didn't know me fucking arse from me elbows and I was fucking just had a fucking constant erection looking for women <laughs> and fucking you know what I mean like honestly like, that's the truth any 16 year old boy have, you, have you curtailed yeah, that uh, hankering I fucking now I don't even care now I don't even care but um seriously a 16 you fuck and now the 16 year old today these cunts who fucking don't even go around street corners looking for women. They're just in WhatsApp groups <laughs> and everybody's stuck to their phone and they're fucking, they're fucking narcissistic to the core. You want them little cunts to go into a fucking voting booth and vote who runs the fucking country? Are you fucking, me if anything, I put the voting up to 21. If any fucking I actually, thing. you were saying that and I was if thinking anything. that. 25. Yeah. So for I, judging on personal I don't know experience. Where, I, I know whatever we're saying, we were connected to something there. That got me to that voting age that sparked that. But, but we're talking about change and evolving yeah, as humans. Yeah, exactly, and, and exactly. Basically, when I was 16, <laughs> I was a fucking Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being polite to myself. So please don't let fucking narcissistic social media, Instagram or arses fucking up and vote and fucking on fucking policy in this country. Well, I would agree with that one. I don't think, I think 16 like, is crazy. too low. What does it's that good. make me now? Am I a rightist now if I say uh, this? No, you, no, no. let me say this right. You are a, a racist. A racist? Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's not going to do with race, you're still a racist, like. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Yeah. Everything is racist, even if it's nothing got to do with race. <laughs> but listen, very, very final quip. Yeah. If you were to give your 16-year-old self advice, what would you give? Oh, what my would you say? God, like, honestly, like, if it's if you're now, if I'm if I'm giving it to say a sixteen year old, I yeah. give it. If I'm giving it to actual me, John Connors, I wouldn't give many advice. I'd let him go where he had to go. But to any sixteen year old, I would say, calm the fuck down. Realize that what other people think about you does not affect you in any way, and should not affect you in any way. Mm -hmm and find what you want to do in your life your purpose in life and have fun doing it and you're in no fucking hurry to do it amazing that's what I would say to 16 year old will you write a book but not you? John Connor 16 year old I'd say you you just keep destroying yourself to find that pain where the art was born and all that hello
<laughs> really really good thank you so much so when can we look forward to the back well being out well it's usually, in production now right it's in editing so we're usually six seven months to edit the film but we're looking to do it in basically fucking six weeks so we're ne- like uh, so we're living in the edit so I hope we we're trying to make the Venice deadline uh, and I think 31st how exciting yeah. oh you're such an actor <laughs> uh, well Venice I'd love it it's the oldest film festival in the world so and have you ever been? Have you gone to it before? No, no. And it's the top three kind of. It's Cannes, Venice, Cannes, Venice, and Berlin, and then there's Sundance and, and Toronto and a few others, like a good few others that are top. Look, like, I'd be happy to get in the top twenty festivals, but to get into Venice because we have the kind of Italian connection with Dante's Inferno and the Black Wealth and all that, and and uh, they seem to love films about sort of uh, Catholic repression. Mm. Um, the Magdalene Sisters actually won the Golden Lion, the top award in Venice. So I think um, stylistically in the story. Uh, we suit Venice, so if I get there, my God, I'm going to be so happy. I'll be so happy for yeah. you. I'll be bloody thrilled. Yeah, but if not, it'll find its way, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. As as does everything. Exactly. And Ireland's Call, is it coming Ireland, back? Look, I'm open to that because, you know why? Because why fucking not? And now after COVID, all they're going to be looking for is fucking one, one, one yeah. man shows, one woman shows. That's all they're looking for now. Yeah. So there's not big And the crowd will be outside. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So if they're, if they're fucking looking and they're paying the cash, you know, who knows? Yeah, let's go and heal some more. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was blown away that night yeah. that I went. Ah, it cheers. Was like, cheers. Yeah, really yeah no, it's great. And that's a show that's constantly evolving. I did it 85 times, like all across the world. So I'd love to keep doing it. Get the 100 mark anyway, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much, John Thanks Connors. Thanks I appreciate it. That was great. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 